the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Plan Your Estate Radio with your host, San Jose Estate Planning Attorney Bob Bergman. Bob's been practicing law for over 30 years and is certified by the State Bar of California as a legal specialist in estate planning trust and probate law. Bob is here to help you set your house in order with valuable insights you can use today to prepare a better tomorrow for your loved ones. And now your host for Plan Your Estate Radio, Attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, Attorney Bob Bergman here, and welcome to the show. Today I'm going to be covering uh, several more of the questions and comments that I have brought in from outside websites where people are asking attorneys such as myself a lot of different questions about estate planning, wills, trusts, probate, trustees who are family members who are playing fast and loose with the inheritance and and what they're handling for people, all of those things. I'm pre-recorded today because uh, on this day I'm actually going to be with one of my daughters at a dress rehearsal for her dance recital, a free plug for the California Sports Center in San Jose on Bernal. That's where uh, my daughters take gymnastics, and my one daughter who's performing takes hip-hop. So she's going to be at a hip-hop dress rehearsal, and I'm taking her downtown to do that uh, on the day this is being aired because her uh, mom needs to work at her home office on a project that she's working on. I do want to urge you, however, to uh, still contact me with any questions or comments that you may have at radio, that's R-A-D-I-O, at lawbob.com, L-A-W-B-O-B dot com. You can also visit my website at lawbob.com to get all sorts of uh, useful information, to register for one of my upcoming seminars or workshops. And basically, to uh, you can also contact me through there as well. I've recently added live chat to the site, so you can ask your questions right there. And uh, I commit to getting back to you as quickly as possible, talking with you about your situation or getting your questions answered. Speaking about getting your questions answered, I find that one of the most direct ways to have that done is to attend one of my seminars. I currently have three different seminars that I am running at various times. I have my Living Trust Seminar, which has been around for several years, regularly updated from year to year if the laws change. It's also available uh, for viewing on my YouTube channel at the Law Offices of Robert P. Bergman. You just go there. Look to the bottom and you'll see the Living Trust Seminar. Click on that. It's about 45 minutes long and it answers a lot of questions and also hopefully clears up a lot of confusion that people have. Second seminar I do 
is called the Retirement Plan Trust Seminar, and that seminar focuses specifically on the special issues, the estate planning issues, with retirement plans such as IRAs and 401k plans, what happens to them when you die, and the various ways that they can be passed on to spouses or children or other heirs. Uh, Also, the special considerations and the special tax issues and asset protection issues that figure into passing on those kinds of assets. My most recent workshop, which just debuted this week, is the seven threats to your family's future security and how to avoid them. By the time this is aired, I will have had my first such workshop, and going forward, I will likely be continuing to refine that workshop. It's a broader workshop than just talking about living trusts and planning for retirement plan assets. It does some asset protection discussion and also gets into issues with medical planning, which is planning to have government-assisted long-term care for nursing home. So to recap, it's possible to register for any one of those upcoming seminars by going to lawbob.com. You could also go to eventbrite.com and search for my seminars there. That's actually what I, the portal that I use to have people register for the seminars because it keeps track of it very nicely and also uh, gives some nice feedback to those who register through there. Also, if you do contact me at radio at lawbob.com, I'll be happy to send you a copy of my California Consumer Guide to Wills, Living Trusts, and Estate Planning. It's a very broad and pretty comprehensive guide, about 40 pages long, that will answer a lot of questions for you about conservatorship, probate, asset protection planning for inheritances, and a lot of other great useful information. So just shoot me a quick email, radio at lawbob.com, and I'll be happy to get a copy back to you right away. Now, continuing on with what I've been doing the last few shows here at Plan Your State Radio, I'm going to go back in and cover some more questions that have come up from around the state of California where uh, people have asked questions about their particular estate planning situations. I'm going to spend the rest of this segment talking about a very interesting situation that has come out of the San Francisco Bay Area. In this one, mom recently passed, and then a third party other than the successor trustee presented copies of an amendment to the original mom's trust named at the top of the paperwork. There's no letterhead. It's in an unsealed envelope with deeds. The notary acknowledgement and the notary's stamp was on a separate sheet other than the signed amendment. In the amendment itself, only one of the two heirs named in the original trust is named beneficiary to all property, monies, bank accounts, everything else. The second heir is left $1,000. The original is recorded, and I'm not sure what they meant by that because generally you don't record trust documents anywhere. Uh, I'm not sure what they meant by that, but they said the amendment is not. The questions included, could mom's signature be verified? Is it legal if the original trust is not attached to the amendment? Is the $1,000 considered a disinheritance of that second heir? And would there be grounds to contest this amendment?
let's unpack each one of those at a time. First of all, I would check to see whether or not you can locate the notary that notarized this document, or at least the one whose signature and stamp appears on a separate sheet. I'm presuming from this that the separate sheet is not numbered at the bottom so that it shows that it's part of that amendment. That notary should have a notary journal that has the signature of the mom in it showing that she signed and also that she provided identification to the notary in order for the notary to acknowledge that amendment. That means that you should be able to at least compare the signature of the mother in the notary's journal with the signature on the amendment to see if they match or to see if they look radically different. That right there could suggest that the signature was not valid. Now, before even having this amendment signed, I would ask the question whether or not the heir who's now receiving everything was acting in an unfair manner in reference to the mom. What was the mom's physical and or mental condition at the time that she signed this amendment? Was she mentally incapacitated and really not legally able to make an amendment like this? Did the second heir receiving everything exercise any kind of undue influence on mom to induce mom to leave everything to that beneficiary and effectively cut out the beneficiary who's only getting $1,000? The fact that the original trust is not attached to the amendment or the other way around is not really legally significant. I find it unusual, though, that the amendment came from a third party and was not with the paperwork of the original trust. That suggests a little bit of unusual things that should be examined by that second heir. The $1,000 is not considered a disinheritance. You're actually receiving $1,000, so you're not disinherited, which would mean that you're not receiving anything. Are there grounds to contest? There might be if there was funny business going on between the heir receiving everything and mom before this amendment was signed. Other than that, the amendment may very well be valid. So after the break, I'll continue on with more questions and comments. This is attorney Bob Bergman. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio. Once again, your host, estate planning trust and probate law specialist, attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, estate planning attorney Bob Bergman back with more Plan Your Estate Radio. I'm going to continue on with more questions and comments in this segment, but please feel free to email me at radio with lawbob.com if you have any questions you would like answered on the air or if you would like a copy of my free California Consumer Guide to Wills, Living Trusts, and Estate Planning. Here's someone in the Sacramento area that indicated, my uncle's planning on leaving the country. He wants to transfer his home to me, his niece. I currently already own a home on a mortgage. Would I owe anything in taxes? This is actually an excellent question because when you're talking about transferring property or gifting property from one person to another, especially when it's real estate here in California, it raises a number of tax questions. Probably the first and foremost tax question is the gift tax question. The federal government imposes a tax on gifts that are made in a calendar year 
that exceed $15,000 in value. Clearly, a home in the Sacramento area is going to be greater than that $15,000 in value. There's a lifetime exclusion for any gifts over the $15,000 currently here in 2018 of $11,180,000. Now, it's not likely that this house is worth more than that, and it's not likely that the uncle has that much property to leave to anyone. So, Probably there is no gift tax here, but the uncle really should be filing a gift tax return that reports the excess gift and then claims the gift tax exclusion that would be available to the uncle. Now, in all this, I'm assuming that the uncle is a U.S. tax resident. In other words, that he is either a U.S. citizen leaving the country or is a permanent resident that's leaving the country, so he does qualify for that lifetime gift tax exclusion amount. The second thing that comes in, though, is not whether or not the niece would owe any income taxes, but the fact that if the uncle is gifting the real estate to his niece, he's also gifting to the niece what's called his cost basis in that property. Basically, his acquisition cost in the property, called cost basis, which is how gain or loss is calculated for the capital gains tax or capital loss tax. Now, what that means is, for example, if he purchased the house for $200,000, today it's worth half a million dollars, when he gifts that property to his niece, she receives it at his purchase value or acquisition cost or cost basis of $200,000. That means if she subsequently sells that property, and assuming it's not her personal residence because she said she already has a home, then she would pay capital gains tax on the difference between her uncle's cost basis, his acquisition cost, and what she nets out of the property after the sale, after cost of sale, which means she would owe federal capital gains tax. And here in California, she would owe California income tax ordinary income tax because it would add whatever she made from that sale would add to her regular income for the tax year in which the sale closed and she'd pay ordinary income tax probably at higher rates on a good part of that income. The third tax that comes into this question might be ultimately the most crucial one for this niece, especially if she's not planning on selling that house anytime soon, but wants to leave it to her spouse or children, for example. And that is because it's the uncle gifting the property to the niece, even though there would likely be no documentary transfer tax or city transfer tax in the county where the property is located, that would be paid to the recorder when the deed is recorded. What will happen is that the real property taxes on this property will be reassessed 100% of the value, and the niece will now have to pay real property taxes based on the current market value of the property, not based on whatever the assessed value was that her uncle had. If the uncle owned the property for a long time, and it's a half-million-dollar property, his assessed value might be 
and he's paying property taxes on that amount. But the niece, on the other hand, because she does not qualify for any exemption from reassessment of the property taxes, because she's not the spouse, she's not the domestic partner, she's not the child or or spouse of the child, which are all normal exemptions, she will have the property taxes reassessed. So effectively, her real property taxes on this property she's gifted from her uncle will probably close to double what he was paying. Now, if she's using it as a rental and getting income from it, she can certainly write off the property taxes anyway as a, as a business expense. But still, those are the taxes. She would owe increased property taxes. She wouldn't owe any gift taxes, or I should say her uncle wouldn't, and she would not owe any kind of income tax unless she sells the property for more and makes more than what her uncle acquired it for originally. Now, this is an interesting one. Some of you out there probably have family members, brothers or sisters, from whom you are estranged. You don't talk with them. You don't keep in touch with them. They don't keep in touch with you. And basically, you don't necessarily care about each other. This situation out of San Diego County is where um, there's a brother who's the trustee and beneficiary of mom's trust. Mom has died. One of the beneficiaries is a half-sister who's estranged from the family and wants her share of the trust, but what doesn't want to talk to any of the other siblings who are also beneficiaries. This estranged half-sister's attorney says she's alive, but the other siblings want absolute proof that she's actually alive before anything is distributed, and they want to know, how do we get that proof? Well, I think probably the simplest answer is that for the trustee, the brother, to distribute the share to any beneficiary, they need to know where that beneficiary is located. They need to know the beneficiary's tax ID number in case any kind of gains from sales uh, need to be reported to the Internal Revenue Service for any kind of a distribution. For example, if real estate or stocks or bonds are sold during administration of the trust, then either the trust is going to pay the taxes on those or they're going to be passed through to the various beneficiaries. Additionally, the brother will probably want to get a receipt from this estranged half-sister. And in order to do that, you need to know how to contact that person. So I think that in this case, just insisting that the attorney provide at least the contact address information to the trustee is completely appropriate because the trustee is in charge of making sure that only those who are eligible to receive the property actually would receive the property, and that would probably make a determination that the person is in fact alive. So I'm coming up on the end of the second segment now. After the break, I'll be coming back with more questions and comments. In the meantime, you can always email me at radio at lawbob.com or visit my website at lawbob.com. So after the break, we'll have more Plan Your Estate Radio with me, Attorney Bob Bergman. Talk with you after the break. This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney Bob Bergman 
on AM 1220 KDOW. Hi, welcome back to Plan Your State Radio. I'm your host, state planning attorney Bob Bergman from San Jose. That's where I actually have my offices in San Jose, currently near the Westgate Shopping Center at Saratoga Avenue and Lawrence Expressway. So if you're in the area, please consider coming in to see me for a free estate planning consultation. You can always book such a consultation through my website at lawbob.com. If you also have an issue regarding administration of the estate of someone who's died, who either had no will or just had a will, or if they had a trust and you're named as the successor trustee of that trust and you don't have the first idea what to do next, you can book an estate administration consultation with me right through my website at lawbob.com. Third thing, if you have a trust and the trust terms, it's now irrevocable and you don't like the trust terms and you'd like to find out if there's a way to change those with the consent of everybody involved with that trust, You can also do that as well. Book an estate administration consultation and let me know that's your situation and I'll be happy to talk with you. Now here's a situation out of Southern California and this is someone talking prospectively about their own estate plan. This person indicates, I have a living trust. My sister is the successor trustee. I've not designated a beneficiary of any kind. Will my sister automatically be the beneficiary if I don't designate one? I think if the person stopped and actually thought about and listened to the question out loud, they'd probably realize that the answer is no. Unless you designate a beneficiary, someone's not going to automatically be the beneficiary of your estate plan. Now, in this case... If this person passes away and has not designated any beneficiary, effectively, the sister is going to have to probate the estate of the person that had the trust because there's no named beneficiary. Now, if they have a typical living trust, it probably says something in it like, if none of my beneficiaries are alive, give everything to my intestate heirs, the people would inherit if I didn't have any plan at all, or my next of kin. There's a lot of different ways that that can be discussed in an estate plan. I find it hard to believe that the trust doesn't designate any beneficiary at all, but this person needs to immediately have the trust changed to name her sister if it's her intention that it go to her sister. And if she wants it to go to her sister's children, if the sister's deceased, she needs to say that too. If she wants it to go to a brother or niece or nephew or anyone else, she needs to say that too. I look at the beneficiary designations in trusts as being like lining up the order of succession for, say, uh, the presidency of the United States. If something happens to the president, you know who the next president's going to be, and so on and so on. If you've named a beneficiary in your trust, then hopefully you've named where did the property go if that beneficiary is no longer alive when you die. That could be a serious error to have any kind of a plan set up that doesn't name where things go. 
It's one of the drawbacks with just using beneficiaries on bank accounts, brokerage accounts, annuities, retirement plans, because one thing you can't really control is whether or not the person you've named is going to still be alive when you pass away. The reality is, if they're not alive and you don't have a named beneficiary anymore, that property is going to end up going through the probate process, no matter what steps you'd taken ahead of time to avoid probate. You're going to end up in probate. Here's an inquiry out of Northern California where someone wanted to know, hey, I'm a resident of Florida and I have a home in California. I wish to set up a revocable living trust. Can I do it in California while I'm still a Florida resident? Then ask the question I really can answer. Are there advantages to doing it in Florida and then move to California? Well, If the person's a resident of Florida, they should generally do their estate planning in Florida. However, if they own real estate here in California, they could in fact set up a revocable living trust in California to hold their California real estate. They wouldn't necessarily be a California resident, but they could set up a trust here. I don't know that I'd necessarily recommend that, but they could do that. As to whether there's advantages to doing it in Florida and then moving to California, I think they would be better served doing full planning once they move to California or else doing planning in Florida and then moving to California and redoing it in California. This is because those two states actually have different property laws, um, especially if this person is married. We have community property laws here in California, which they don't have in Florida. Florida is what's called a separate property state, which means that husbands and wives own their interests in property separately from each other. California is a community property state, which means that property owned together typically acquired in any joint form during the marriage, is considered to be owned by the marriage rather than directly by the spouses in the marriage. So here I would say, do your trust in Florida, do your estate plan in Florida, redo it when you come to California, because it's going to be a a whole different situation when you arrive. This next situation comes out of the City of Angels, and uh, it's fairly complicated, but I'll see if I can unpack it as we go. This person said, Dad passed away October of 2017 without a will. Since then, my brother and his son have been living on the property and utilizing Dad's ATM card and haven't told me anything about what's going on with the house, in which I was on the title up until 2017, when my brother insisted that my dad put the house back in his name since I and my wife moved out of town. Now let's pause for a moment there. If this person was on the title with his father, there is no way that the father could unilaterally take him off of the title. Uh, because if he's on the title, he would have to sign to put his dad back on the title. Um, what I'm really concerned about here is that we've got the brother and his son living in the property and using dad's ATM card even though dad is deceased. That is essentially theft. 
that is embezzlement if they're controlling it. There's a lot of different crimes that are likely wrapped up in there. Reading on further, this person thought, I shouldn't be entitled to some of my father's assets because I've been taking care of him and his property for the past 20 years. And my brother was in prison for 26 years uh, up until April of 2012. Well, I think we can see the character of the brother if he's living in the property and using dad's ATM card, basically stealing money from the father's estate. This person wants to know what they need to do to claim their share of the father's assets. Well, I'd say, first of all, they need to go to dad's bank and let dad's bank know dad's died so that they stop that account. Second thing is this son needs to go and petition the court down there in Los Angeles to probate the father's estate, including and probably needs to petition, say, I'm the one that should be in charge of that, the administrator of the estate, to handle things. Third thing would likely be, if that's successful, evict the other brother and his son, and then on behalf of the estate, perhaps go after them for whatever money they took out of the estate using dad's ATM card, because that is basically stealing from the estate. I would consider it the same thing if they walked into dad's house, took all of his jewelry, his watches, his golf clubs, all of his furniture, packed it on a truck, and drove away. It's substantively really no different, and in fact, it may even be more serious because it involves stealing money without authority from a bank account. That could get both the state and potentially federal law enforcement authorities involved in the situation. But this person needs to immediately take action through the court system to take over control so that he can get the brother out of there. He needs to contact the banks to let them know his dad died so they stop the drain of uh, money out of the ATM. It's a bad situation and it's only going to get worse, not better, the longer that he takes to take action. Now, this person is actually a creditor of an estate, and uh, he said he filed a claim against the estate of someone who had died, called the decedent. The executor in charge of the estate rejected the claim. Now he wants to know, I need to file a claim with the court. Well, if he filed a claim and it was rejected, then the only thing he can do now to respond to that is go to court to prove up his claim. So he's going to actually have to effectively file suit in the court or an objection and go in there and, and prove that he's actually owed the money. There's no just simple form to file with the court. He's going to have to take more concentrated action than that. Here's one that I probably need a little more information about, but I'm going to do my best. This person wanted to know, how do I add a new spouse to an existing family trust? Now, I assume what the person means is that they already have a living trust and they want to add their spouse to it. Well, if they want to add their spouse as a beneficiary, it's a matter of updating their trust to reflect that they're married and they want their spouse as a beneficiary. If they want to actually create a new plan with their spouse, they probably need to go back and redo the estate plan and have it be a joint trust that they're utilizing. So I'll be back after the break in a moment here with more questions and comments. This is attorney Robert Bergman, Plan Your State Radio, and I hope you're enjoying the show so far. 
And again, if you have any questions or comments, please email me at radio at lawbob.com. So until after the break, talk with you then. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Welcome back. Estate planning attorney Bob Bergman, Plan Your Estate Radio. Before the break, I was talking about a number of questions and comments that have come up with various sites around the state. So I'm going to close out the show today with a few more of those before we wrap it up at the end. This is a serious situation here. A person out of San Diego County, uh, father passed away from cancer last summer, and mother came to uh, live with this person. Mom has SSI benefits, which are needs-based income from the government, and also has Medi-Cal and Medicare for insurance. I think probably the likelihood is that mom just has Medicare. It indicates she's 75 years old, so that would likely indicate she is on Medicare. She would have Medi-Cal if she is, in fact, in a nursing home in San Diego County, but it's not clear from this whether she is, in fact, in a nursing home because it says that uh, mom is now with this person. But let's assume she's in a nursing home. Now, one of this person's cousins is the successor trustee of a trust for mom's brother, which is this person's uncle who recently died, and this brother left to his sister, this is mom, $100,000, um, over $100,000, because there's properties that have to be sold, and this mom that is has SSI and Medicare and presumably Medi-Cal as well, it's going to be getting over $100,000. Now, if you know anything at all about the Medi-Cal program or SSI, you know that it is a needs-based program. What that means is that you can only qualify to receive assistance if you have an actual financial need to receive that assistance. If you suddenly get over $100,000, you don't have a financial need, at least until that $100,000 is all spent down to a couple thousand dollars in the bank. And what will happen is, You'll lose your SSI income benefit. You'll also lose your Medi-Cal, which might be paying for your nursing home. But maybe more serious, Medi-Cal itself might come back in and say, oh, you have money now? We've spent all this money for you already. As we say, we I say you kind of ran up this bar tab already in that nursing home. And now you have money. You can pay us back right now. Uh, you can pay, so all that inheritance might very well go straight to the state. Now, if that happens, she's probably not going to lose her Medi-Cal benefits or SSI because the state will take it all. But depending on how much she owes the state right now, who knows? So the question are, are there ways in which she can keep her existing benefits? And then he wants to know, can mom give me the money? And if she does that, what will be the tax and legal ramifications? Well, I'll tell you the tax ramifications would be pretty much non-existent because mom, we know mom has basically nothing. Even if she gave this son or daughter 
$100,000, it's not going to be taxed from a gift tax standpoint. The more serious issue is giving that money away, especially when there's a claim from the state, that could in fact cause an immediate loss of benefits unless it's done correctly, unless it's done the right way. So, there is a way that the money can be held on to and used for mom's benefit, but they really are going to need to consult with an experienced medical or elder law attorney down there in San Diego County to assist with that. There are correct and proper and legal ways to deal with a situation like this, and there are other ways that people to try to do it on their own, and they end up getting in serious legal difficulties for themselves and for the person that they're trying to help. Here's another one out of San Diego County where someone says, it says in mom's will that if I choose to buy some of my sister's portion, I can do it, either some or all of it, but I don't have the money to do that. So I'm not sure what the question is, uh, other than what if I don't have money to buy out my sister? Well, the short answer to that is, you don't have money to buy out your sister, and it means that mom's property is just going to be divided according to the will. Now, there might be a different answer if the property was in a trust and the trust provided for what's called a right of first refusal to permit this person to buy out her sister and the person had the ability to go and obtain a loan on the property and pay back that loan in order to give cash to the sister, but that doesn't appear to be the case here. Here's a situation that actually comes up fairly commonly in my practice, but kind of from a slightly different direction. Here's someone who created a revocable living trust, and now the person's daughter, who is the successor trustee of the trust, wants a copy made for her. Now, that in and of itself is not unusual. A lot of my clients want to be able to provide copies of their estate planning documents to their children, uh, which is one of the reasons why, once they're signed in my office, we scan and create electronic PDF versions of all of the signed documents so that they can be easily stored in electronic media, in the cloud, and also provided electronically to those family members who might need them in the future. In this case, though, the daughter is demanding a copy prior to this person visiting, or she won't be allowed to visit and see her grandchildren until she provides that copy. This person wants to know, do I have to give my daughter a copy of my living trust? Well, I think you all know the answer to that. So we're about done today. I hope you've enjoyed this installment of Plan Your Estate Radio with your host, estate planning attorney Bob Bergman from San Jose. Until next week, have a great day. Goodbye. You've been listening to Plan Your Estate Radio with estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. For more information on today's program or to schedule a consultation, visit lawbob.com, where you'll also find information on his upcoming estate planning seminars. L-A-W-B-O-B, lawbob.com, or call his office in San Jose, 408-247-0444. That's 408-247-0444. And be sure to tune in next week for more Plan Your Estate Radio. 
Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of this station and are for informational purposes only and should not be construed to be legal, financial, or tax advice. Seek appropriate legal advice regarding your particular situation. Attorney Bob Bergman does not offer any guarantees with regard to the outcome of your legal matter. Prior results in other cases do not guarantee a similar outcome in your case. All rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.